Good morning. It is always wonderful to hear your voices every Sunday. Reminds me what it, what it will be one day, together, worshiping our Lord. And open up your Bibles. Today, we find ourselves in the book of James, the first chapter, verses 2 to 4. And there's something so special about this passage, very well known, as you open up your Bibles, you just glance at it and immediately this verse will come to mind. It's, it's well known in our Christendom, right? Let's pray first. Let's pray. Let Allow the Holy Spirit to be with us. Interpret this text for us. Not I, but Christ increase. May we decrease. May the Lord use this text for His glory and for our sanctification this morning. Amen. Amen. Father, we praise you and we continue to worship you. How great is our God? How great are you? Lord, we trust in you and none alone. Lord, be with us this morning through this passage. Lord, we feeble-minded, wicked, weak of thought, but you are great. Illuminate our hearts, our minds to understand this passage correctly. Rejoice in all things. Count it all joy. What does it mean? Teach us this morning. It's not about the messenger. It's about the message. It's about God, Christ crucified. Lord, thank you. Be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. So we find ourselves in James 2, uh, 1, 2 to 4. Very famous passage. But I would like to start with a quote this morning from Dr. W.A. Criswell. Help us start and prepare our hearts for this passage he said this when our trials come and they will come when we feel pain and suffering when our tears flow again it is our joy and comfort to lift our faces heavenward and to go on standing on the promises of God amen I think he's onto something here the passage is, let's read the passage, James 1, 2, 4. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, James is making a revolutionary statement here, a paradox statement. Count it all joy, even amidst your trials. James, what are you saying? I mean, since I was yay high, I was taught the opposite. To love life, to seek a better life, a comfort. So what is James saying? If we come with a wrong conclusion or wrong perspective or presuppositions, we're going to misunderstand this passage and destroy it altogether. Clearly, if you're suffering in this world, this is what the world philosophy teaches. Clearly, if you're suffering, you must be doing something wrong. And forget about the idea of counting it all joy. Instead, if you're suffering trials and tribulations, you must do all you can do to make it right. That's what the world teaches. If this statement is to be taken at its word, at James' word, 
And if James is clearly saying that we must count it all joy, then we need to understand trials and tribulations through the lens of God. Through a proper theology of suffering and not conforming to the ideal life in this world. It is my intention and I pray that we understand that God grants us a proper understanding of suffering and of the fulfillment of joy when we suffer. Today, my sermon is titled, Joy Amidst the Testing of Your Faith. I have four points this morning. Number one, joy is a call to believers. Number two, I'm going to kill and murder this word. Inevitability of trials. So the certainty of trials. Thank you. (laughs) Point number three. Divine purpose. There is a divine purpose for suffering. And number four. The everlasting promise of the gospel. We cannot end here without the gospel. So point number one. A call to believers. James starts the verse two with a call to believers. If you don't believe me, he says, count it all joy. What? Brothers. He didn't say creation. He didn't say all peoples. He said brothers. James is saying that joy in trials is only possible to be experienced if you are a believer. See, contrary to what the world teaches, joy is not about feelings. It's not. So if you had this idea that Joy is feelings, it's happiness, it's not. It does not equate to happiness. Feelings are temporary and dependent on one's circumstances. And joy is transcendent. Disregarding our momentary status. James is not alluding to religious masochism here. He's not saying to have up a front or have a grin every time I'm suffering. That's not what we're saying. Or no, he's saying that we ought to be looking out for sufferings and trials in every corner that we, we're looking, you know, we're, we're going through. We're not. That's not what he's saying. So he must be saying something more. The word, the world equates joy again with happiness, but in the other hand, the Bible says that joy is a provision of God. It is a perpetual gladness of the heart that comes from knowing, experiencing, and trusting Jesus alone. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It is. It's a provision. If it's a provision, it's only being provided to believers. So it's a call to believers. Paul, in the letter to the Philippians, in chapter 2, verse 7, says... And he says this, and then another revolutionary statement. Even if I'm poor, to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering table, I am glad and I rejoice. Paul, what are you saying? How is it possible that you go in prison, going to die? Are you singing hymns? Praying for others? Preaching the gospel? How is that possible? How are you, how are you so joyous? Well, and then I ask myself, how am I to praise God when I'm going through a divorce? How can I sing your praise, Lord, and your righteousness when my son and daughter are disobedient? How is this possible? Well, in the same book, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8, Paul says this. 
But whatever I've gained, I count it all loss. For what? For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. There's the possibility of joy in trials is by knowing Christ. And not only knowing, it's not just a superficial knowledge. It's knowledge that transforms, transcends our lives. Christ is our joy. See, when we know Christ, Christ becomes far grander and greater than my trials. It is when the Word of God, Christ Himself, is known to me in a way that all I want is to desire Him. Like the rich man who found the treasure in the field. What did he do? Went out, sold everything he had, bought that field to keep the treasure. Is Christ your treasure this morning? If it's not, there's an impossibility of joy in your lives. I guarantee that. D.A. Carson said this, Those who know where the treasure lies, joyfully abandon everything else to secure it. When we leave everything behind, empty ourselves, look unto Christ, that's joy. True joy. As a believer, Christ is your treasure. Then joy is not optional. It is impossible not to have joy if you are a believer. Because as we walk through this rigid life, Christ becomes sweeter, doesn't he? The truth of Christ becomes far sweeter smelling. And the words he pours from his own mouth become our joy. Even in our, in our trials, his word sustains a habitual joy in our lives. As Jesus prayed to the Father. Now I am coming to you, Father, he says, and these things I speak in the world, meaning to all of us, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Joy is not only knowing Christ, but, Christ, but making his word true in our hearts. Again, joy is not optional when you are in Christ, as Paul commanded, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say what? Rejoice. But not in, what your, mater in your material things, not in your 401k, not in your next promotion, in Christ. If, we, if you know Him, you rejoice. Point number two, the certainty of trials. Now, joy is a call to believers, and so we must have a proper view on trials and suffering. With the modern digital revolution, we have a gift and a curse. With this technological uprising comes for the good or bad social media. I don't know how you feel about social media. Some of you dabble with it. Some of you are full-blown into it. Sometimes it's beneficial for your businesses. I get it. Some don't. What social media has sold us 
is the idea that life is grand. And that we must pursue a life without troubles. Seldomly, rarely, do you see someone posting their trials or tribulations. And if they do at times, it's seeking attention. But all that social media offers is glamour. It is a fabrication of lies. Telling us that we are constantly missing out. Because when you truly compare your life to theirs, we're not there. The standard is, we just, just don't make it. It's a lie. We're always in a state of FOMO, fear of missing out, aren't we? I love that James set the proper expectations on trials. Look at verse 2. He says, when, when you meet trials of various kinds, not if, he says, when, it will happen. It is to be expected. And the reason it is to be expected is because trials, calamity, and troublesome seasons are part of our human fallenness. Genesis 3 corrupted not only our soul, but the whole world that we live in it. So calamity will happen. Trials will come. Job himself said, but a man is born to what? Trouble. And he also said, man, man who is born of a woman is a few days of full trouble. It's a sequence of events. Most of them are troublesome, not happy. So I'm going to give an advice to a young woman or young men who are here. And I see a few. Don't believe the Instagram hype. Don't fall into the lie that life is without trials. Don't try to measure up to the ideal body type. Or wait. Your identity shouldn't be in these things. Your identity should be on the one that calls you whole and sees you as a child of God. Blameless and righteous, not because of anything you post on social media or because maybe because you're obedient to your parents no he calls you blameless because of Christ because of the one who died at the cross for you in him we are complete now let me make this point clear I don't suggest that we should be looking out for trouble some days that's not what I'm saying no the Lord provides in his mercy and grace green pasture days to be enjoyed as Solomon said, there's a season for everything. It's a time to cry, it's a time to laugh. But even King Solomon, in all his health and wealth, understood that trials are ever-present. For all his days are full of sorrow, he says. And his work is vexation. And I love that he counts something as trivial as work to be trial and troublesome I love it because James is saying trials are of various kinds and I'm going to give you another advice don't neglect the trivial trials in life because they prepare you for a harder life 
Ask the Lord to give you a heart of godliness to respond to those small trivial trials that come to your life. Even those that at times seem insignificant. Like hitting your pinky toe on the corner of your furniture. (laughs) Or when you wake up in the middle of the night and you step on your child's toy. Count those as joy. (laughs) Tough, I know. Maybe you've been involved in a car accident and your car is totaled. Count it all joy. Learn to see meaning and purpose even in those trying moments. Because those will prepare you for a greater calamity and they will come. Because in this life, it's fading rapidly. And we will all somehow, some way be tested with death, sickness, strife, toils, tribulations, and maybe persecutions. We can't escape it. Don't let trials surprise you. As Peter said, do not be surprised by your trials. As though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. Peter understood that every trial is a test of our faith. And thus it has purpose for our lives. Point number three. A divine purpose. James continued, continues to explain in verse 3 that something is happening when trials come to our lives. Something is being produced in us through trials. James says, for you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And this is where our joy is manifest. That we know God is doing something in our trials. God is testing your faith. The reason we grumble and complain when trials come is because we forsake the essential knowledge that God is at work. And in His sovereign power, ordaining our trials. As if sometimes we act as if God is surprised by our trials. What a low view of looking at God. We act as if he's surprised, as if God is reacting to future events and not in full power and control over them. First Chronicles 29 says of God, you rule over all. That is your God. That is my God. And Psalms 115 says, God does whatever he pleases. Even your trials. Having a high view of God, that will turn to joy. Because He is in control. We find ourselves fearful of the future. Even amongst believers. All of a sudden, the fear of nuclear holocaust or geopolitical conflicts. And what is the next? Uh, In 25 days, we won't have no more petroleum. We get... Proud up, we get fearful. Even if the trials are as large as those, God is in full control over them all. Wasn't God in control in World War I and World War II? Wasn't He in control? He was. Don't allow unrealistic fears take away your joy in the Lord. 
Be joyful that God is purposefully working all things for your good. That even for in for a little while, as bad as the pain may be, God is working something greater in you. God is building spiritual maturity. He's in the business of building spiritual mature Christians. And how does he do it? Trials. Yes, the process is painful. But we rejoice in knowing that there is a divine purpose while we suffer. Peter mentioned this. In this you rejoice. But now for a little while, if necessary, you may have grieved various trials. Again, same language as James. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. That's the right perspective on suffering and trials. When God tests your faith, James is saying that he is intrinsically creating resistance in your faith. Like a marathon runner. Steadfastness. As you are experiencing trials, God is at work pushing your limits and creating in you a character to withstand the storms with the goal that you will finish the race. That is his goal. If you've ever wondered how you finish the race, look no further. God is the one that completes the work in you, but He does it through the testing of your faith. That's how He does it. And I love that James uses in chapter 4, he uses Job as the prime example of steadfastness. He said this in chapter 4. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have, been, have seen the purpose of the Lord. He's saying study his life well and you will find God and his purpose. What I've learned to love about Job is that amidst the testing of his faith, he never loses joy. He may have seen that as, as if his afflictions might have been tampered with, his emotions... It might have grieved them and created unspeakable sadness. But he never loses joy. He never loses joy because pure joy is hope in God who allows trials to come to our life. Knowing that he will make a way that he is righteous and in his righteousness, he's working out all things for your good and his purposes. Again, beloved, it's not about emotions. It's not about feelings. You may curse the day you die like Job did and still find joy. That's why Job was able to say, I know, I know my Redeemer lives. I know. And then at the end of his trials, as he questions God, it was revealed to him God's purposes. And he said, I had heard of you only by ear, but now my eyes see you. This is what God does. He draws you near, closer to Him. A deeper understanding of His character, attributes. Don't take trials for granted. Don't. They have purpose. Let's see what time I got. Good timing. God in, 
the testing of your faith produces steadfastness because we get to grow near to Him. And when we are near to Him, there's nothing that can shake us. Nothing. That alone should bring us joy. That there. That we have a Savior that loves us. That He suffered for, for us. And here's the promise of the Gospel. Point four. Now, I don't know what your trials are. I, I'm not assuming. Maybe you're experiencing all sorts of trials in your lives. Maybe you're going through a good season. Trials will come. Perhaps you're for, caring for a loved one who is sick. And that alone is taxing and it's tiring. Maybe you're experiencing, experiencing sickness yourself. I cannot imagine what you're going through. Maybe your trials are off the mind. Maybe you're struggling with depression or suicidal thoughts. Maybe. Or maybe your trials and sufferings are just trivial and you're in a season of fairly ease. Let me give you some hope. Trials are finite. They end. God has designed it so. They come one day and gone the next. We've all heard the saying, this too shall pass. It's not a biblical passage, but it carries truth. This too shall pass. Whether in this life or the next, this too shall pass. In this life or the next, trials will end. That is the promise of the gospel. And this is what James alludes in verse 4. He says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Trials are for your testing, and the purpose of your testing is to create steadfastness, and steadfastness, hope, in which we find in the gospel alone. Paul, talking about our faith being a gift of God, grace, says to the Romans. And I love how Paul correlates our trials and our salvation together. He mentions them both in this statement. Into this grace, talking about faith, in which we stand, and we rejo rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, he says, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. He won't. And I love that correlation there. When it seems that all things are working against us, God is working all things for us. Especially when it comes to our perseverance and the preservation of our faith. We rejoice in our salvation because God is holding us together. And He promises that we will see Him one day. We will see our Savior one day. Paul says, rejoice in our sufferings because it, because it produces steadfastness. And steadfastness produces hope. Be delighted that God thinks of you in such a way that His primary care for you is to finish the work in you. As we are tested, we are constantly reminded of the sweetness of the gospel. The gospel is not only enough for salvation, but it also carries us through our sanctification. It will see us through. 
Therefore, we rejoice in our salvation. Because it reminds us that whatever may happen in this world, I have a greater hope than those that don't have Christ. I have hope. Trials become easier to bear when we don't lose joy in that salvation provided by Christ. Have you stopped to ponder on that? I know we go through the motions. Come every Sunday. I was talking to Brother Tony. We need to be reminded of the gospel continuously. We're hard-headed. Easily forgetful. But we lose sense of what the gospel really is. The magnitude of the gospel. The magnitude of the sacrifice. The magnitude of God of God becoming a man. Becoming one of us. And becoming sin for us. Beloved. We can't lose track of that. The psalmist says, Restore to me the joy of my of your salvation. In other words, keep your salvation fresh in my heart and in my mind, so I may have a willing spirit while I suffer. Joy in suffering is also possible when we are reminded that while we suffer, we share in the trials of Christ. Christ is not oblivious to our trials. We suffer it with Him. Peter in his first epistle says, Rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. What a powerful message. What a refreshing thought this is, that while we suffer, we are sharing in Christ's sufferings. What a reminder of the glorious gospel of our faith. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God in His infinite wisdom and sovereign will declared before the foundations of the world to provide a Son, to provide God of God, He who is holy, 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 and die for our sins. You know, the gospel reminds me constantly that I am a sinner, a speck in this world, in this universe, nothing. I'm a, I'm a speck of sand in the Sahara Desert. I'm a lowly soul. I'm, I'm a nobody. But what a blessing it is that Christ thinks of me this way and calls me a son. And that should bring joy to our hearts even in our trials. That that doesn't change. That I'm forever His son, His daughter. That is joy. Conclusion. Joy is not an option for the believer. It's not. We are called to have joy amidst our trials. We are called to have joy amidst our trials. Not to mention... Not emotions, but joy rooted in our hope that is in Christ Jesus. And in our fallenness, we will fail. We will lose joy. We may be sitting here this Sunday, come out here. Someone crosses our, our path or our, our, our car. And we start screaming at them. 
We're forgetful. You will fail. But we have an advocate in Christ. Amen. Who knows our minds, knows that we're feeble. He's perfect. He lived our lives. Though suffering, through suffering, God ordains beauty and a future brighter this world has to offer. And we rejoice in that. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word has been preached. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. And we rejoice in you, Christ. You are our biggest joy. You are all that we need, all that we want. You are our desire. Even, in, Lord, and when we don't want to desire you, you forgive us. That's how good you are. You're such a wonderful Savior. Lord, teach us to have joy amidst our trials. Not, not like the world teaches, but how you teach it. Give us a heart of content, a love for you, that when trials do come, all we do is worship you, sing your praises. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen.